We have an awesome scripture here to, this morning. The featured scripture of the morning is Ephesians 2, 1 through 10. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air and the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace, you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It's the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Now, guys, the message does a great job in interpreting this message, and Darren thought we should do both this morning. And I love the title of this. It's called, He Tore Down the Wall, Ephesians 2.10. It wasn't so long ago that you were mired in that old, stagnant life of sin, You let the world, which doesn't know the first thing about living, tell you how to live. You filled your lungs with polluted unbelief and then exhaled disobedience. We all did it. All of us doing what we felt like doing, when we felt like doing it, all of us in the same boat. It's a wonder God didn't lose his temper and just do away with a whole lot of us. But instead, Immense in mercy and with an incredible love, he embraced us. He took our sin-dead lives and made us alive in Christ. He did all of this on his own with no help from us. And then he picked us up and he set us down in the highest heaven in company with Jesus, our Messiah. Now God has us right where he wants us with all the time in this world and the next, to share grace and kindness upon us in Christ Jesus. Saving us is all his idea and all his work. All we do is trust him enough to let him do it. It's God's gift from start to finish. We don't play the major role. If we did, we'd probably go around bragging that we'd done the whole thing. No, We neither make nor save ourselves. God does both the making and saving. He creates each of us by Christ Jesus to join him in the work he does and the good work he has gotten ready for us to do. Work we had better be doing. (laughs) That's the right response to that. Like, if you're clapping for that, it's because you just understood what just happened. Like, what? Lord, would you give all of us that sort of insight and understanding to your word this morning? And pray for your, you said that your word, uh, the entrance of light with your word, that's what we're praying for this morning. That light would enter us this morning. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. 
I have a confession for you this morning. It's very private, but I feel like I'm in safe company. Um, I'm scared of zombies. Um, I... Like, I see the things, you guys, are, you're very excited about The Walking Dead. I got, like, I don't know, I've maybe made it through about four minutes of that. <laughs> Just not pro-zombie. <laughs> Firmly in anti-zombie world. Which might help you to understand, I don't know if you guys remember this movie well, and I'm going to give you a spoiler alert. Uh, if you haven't seen I Am Legend yet, I'm about to spoil it for you. You have about 30 seconds to get out if you don't want to hear how this goes. You remember this movie? You, who saw this movie? Okay, do you remember the commercials? He's, I mean, he's sitting down across the table from Matt Lauer, and they're talking about, oh, this is amazing, what, what the concept of the last man on earth. And so I'm on tour with, I don't even remember who it was, somewhere, and I'm on a bus, and you, the one thing you do if you're a manager and you're on a bus full of artists is occasionally you need to just be away from the bus full of artists. And so I vividly remembered that I got off the bus in Minneapolis and, I don't know, went to a movie theater somewhere to see the I Am Legend movie. And I'm like, this is a great concept. It's the prince, you know, fresh prince takes on the world. And so, you know, what? A, so, and he got a dog with him, you know, so, you know. So you can imagine my surprise. <laughs> I don't know how long it is into the movie. It seemed like a long time into the movie. And you're, I'm, I'm now engaged in this, and I want the Fresh Prince to win. And I'm, I want to, 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 whatever, how do you be the last guy on earth? And I'm sort of resonating with it. And out of nowhere jumps a zombie. Nobody said anything about zombies. The only time I felt more betrayed in a movie was Marley and me on Christmas Day. <laughs> Same thing, nobody mentioned that. You're going to kill the dog on Christmas? What are you doing? So I'm by myself. I am a grown man. <laughs> and do you remember when the first zombie jumps out and I am legend? Didn't anybody else not know that it was a zombie movie? Like, I felt so stupid. <laughs> and I definitely screamed. <laughs> like, <laughs> definitely screamed. Like, probably a lot. But now I'm like, I'm in, because i got to know how the Fresh Prince makes it out. Which basically, I spent the entire movie with my ears, my hand by my ears to cover my ears. I swear I'm not making this up. I wish I were exaggerating. Scrunched down in my seat with my eyes squinting for probably the next two hours, however long the movie was. Way too long of a movie for me to be that way, because I just needed to know how that was going to go. So if you like zombies, I mean, I probably could think of a theological reason you shouldn't. But I'm just saying... That for me, I just don't enjoy being startled. Like, I got enough problems. The last thing I need. Like, you, you throw a witch in the woods or a zombie on the last earth, and I'm out. Like, I'm done. Because I got enough to think about than that. Like, my blood pressure has enough problems without needing to be scared into it. And you're thinking, what on earth does that have to do with anything in the book of Ephesians? And the answer is a lot. Because Ephesians 2 starts out simply saying, you were dead in your sins. Now, I listen to a lot of, my wife can attest to this, because I listen to a lot of old-timey Bible teachings from old-time guys like Ray Steadman, you know, John MacArthur in the 70s, and just old-time stuff. And a lot of these old-time guys, they didn't know that there was a zombie movement coming. So they would talk about dead and sins, and this theological idea is literally like the walking dead. 
Like it's almost a zombie-like idea that God, even though there wasn't language for zombie, and they would actually evoke images of Haiti. The voodoo ceremonies, which they, you know, they, they act like zombies and they're walking dead. And te- really, what they really are is stoned out of their ever-loving minds, dancing around a fire, acting all dead. He said that you were once, you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. And if I were to ask you this morning, what does it mean to be saved? You might, I don't know how many times you got saved when you were a kid. I got saved a lot. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like, the first one I remember was at the Nazarene church, because he would do the same sermon like every Sunday. If that eastern sky were to split, and you were to walk out, would you go with him? Like, I don't know. <laughs> like, so I, I ran to the front, and then I got saved there, and then I got saved in the Church of Christ Church a couple years later. And uh, you remember that story where I told you about the guy, uh, Sherman Sack, who told me how to be baptized. He was going to give me, I think it was four, maybe five reasons to be baptized. And all I could think of was, what's he going to do when he gets to the third reason? Because he had cut off his ring finger in an unfortunate <laughs> lawnmower accident as a child. And so I didn't remember what the reasons were. I just remember I got saved there. <laughs> and then I got saved once in like a youth conference. You know, like you musicians remember the 80s, the uh, Yamaha DX7 patch was the altar call patch of the 80s. Everybody got saved once, too. The guy playing the keyboard, everybody head bowed, every eye closed. And If you're not a musician, you have no idea what I'm talking about, but I promise you, if Zach walked up here and played the Rhodes patch, you would know, oh, that's the altar call patch. I got saved that, you know. And if I were to ask you guys, what does it mean to be saved, we probably all would have some really good answers to that. Like, what does it mean to be saved? And if your answer doesn't include Ephesians 2, then you might not understand what it means to be saved. Because what he's saying here is not only we are saved from something, verses 1 through 3, we're saved through something, verses 4 through 7, and we're saved to something, verses 8 through 10. It breaks down perfectly. It breaks down beautifully. And in the few minutes I have here this morning, that's what I wanted to talk with you about is what does it mean to be saved? Why does it, when I read, we just literally, someone reads Ephesians 2, I want to clap about that. Something inside of me jumps at that. And to understand that you're saved, it was what Jeremy shared in, during the worship song, is it's, we're saved from something. If you are saved, it is because something had gone terribly, terribly wrong. And I'm here to tell you that Deepak Chopra, Oprah, they're all wrong. Because what that, and there's churches in this community that teach, churches around the country that are teaching, that we're all good. That we're all good, there's all God in all of us, and so what we're really doing is just discovering God in each of us. But that is not what Paul is saying. Paul is saying, you're dead if you don't have Christ. You are a walking dead person, a zombie, walking around doing a lot of damage. And you would probably agree if I were to say that the, the... the depths of Scripture, that it's to comprehend how big and how deep and how wide God truly is, that we can only do that through the Word and through the Bible. And it's less obvious, but exactly as true, that how desperately wicked we were before Christ, we can only know through God. We can only know that you were once dead in your sins. And it's easy, like Jeremy was saying, hey, we talk the murderer, that's an easy one. Because what is he saying here? If you've got your Bibles, I'd love it if you followed along. 
In verse 1, he says, you were dead in the trespasses of your sins in in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, which is Satan. By the word, that word follow is like literally like I've been, I've, I've been chained to and being drugged along. Like it's not like I'm following like a marching band or like a little baby goose is following mama. I am chained and being drugged along. My zombie self is being, I'm a slave to the prince of the power of the air, to Satan. Now it would be real fun and real easy to just blame it all on Satan and just leave it at that. And there's truth in that, and it's true, and it could be its own sermon in and of itself, but I think that if you've been around Jesus for any length of time, been around Christianity for any length of time, we could probably all acknowledge Satan's not a good guy, not nice, bad, 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 bad. But then I blame that on him that I don't understand that even inside of me is the DNA of Satan himself. What did Paul say in 1 Timothy 3? Don't Become like Satan. Don't become conceited like Satan because then you yourself will follow him into judgment, into damnation. What was Satan's core, the sin of Satan himself, right? I will arise and be like God. He wanted equality with God. Pride, self-gratification, self-centeredness. And thinking in those terms, look what it says among verse 3 whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh. The passions of our flesh there, it isn't like your physical flesh, but it's like the spiritual center of who you are. Your self-centeredness, self-focused, self literally self-purposed. You were following that in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body, just whatever I want, what is good for me, and the mind, and we're by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. Martin Luther, used, you know sometimes I make up a word because it just felt right and it felt like it should be the word. I feel like this might have been one of those words and Martin Luther used the word incurvitus. I challenge you to use that in a sentence this week and then report back. Incurvitousness, he, what he was saying was that all of man before Christ was incurvitousness, meaning that we were curving in on ourselves. That we were about our selves, about how I could get ahead, about what's in it for me. It's almost like that sin, you know, have you, if you've had your, uh, your iPhone for a while, you notice that the battery starts draining fast, and oftentimes it's because there's an app in the background running constantly, draining you down. The sin nature of who we are, were, is this app in our soul that's just constantly on the lookout for me for how I can get ahead, for what I can get out of this. Even religion is about that. How can I get more? How can I give, right? How can I give, not because I have a desperate need for Jesus, because I have a desperate need for approval. Religion and and morality can even become that. And he's saying to us, you were once like that if you were before Christ, in curvetous, literally, for yourself and yourself alone. And if you don't remember this, like right now in our society, what are the politicians trying to do? Divide us. It's us against them. The poor against the rich. It's us against them. It's us, them, us, them. But if you think back in society, some of you are old enough to remember this. The sexual revolution, what was it about? Me, 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 me. When abortion became legal, what was it about? Me, 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 me. 
Some of us are even not quite as old and can remember this. The financial crisis. Do you remember the financial crisis? What was it about? It was the rich bankers doing us wrong, wasn't it? Rich bankers did us wrong, but what was it about? There were people like you and I sitting in a mortgage office lying on our mortgage applications because I wanted to get something more. I wanted to sell my house for more. I wanted to. We were all involved in this. And the nation ultimately came in on itself because of the, the core of who we are was that. And Jesus said, that's what I'm saving you from. Could you get me water? I'm about to, you could strike a match on my throat right now. We should do that. That'd get everybody. <laughs> That's what we were saved from. And what were we saved through? Faith by grace. Not because I get to, I was so awesome. Actually, it's because I'm not so awesome. <laughs> the selfish part of me likes to think I'm awesome, but the fact of the matter is, is that I'm not awesome. You but Jesus loved you anyway. And some, some of us, like, you can think back how awful you were and how terrible things you've done in your past. And you know what? If, if, if you've watched, like, a sport this week, and I, I, apparently last week was uh, the March Madness. You guys know about the March Madness? I'm not a basketball guy. I don't know. I just know that a lot of people were really excited at a game at the last minute where a shot was scored and, oh, everybody cheered, and it but you know what made it awesome was that it looked like it wasn't going to go that way. It looked like this team was going to get beaten. Suddenly at the last minute, wow, it was. Jesus, you and I are those kinds of trophies for him. When it says that the angels look in on us, it's because they genuinely are blown away by how, what a hot mess you were and how Jesus came in and saved you anyway. And when it says, lest any man should boast... It doesn't say lest Jesus should boast. That was his half-court shot. You are his half-court shot. You are the whole in one. Do you see what I'm saying? Like, by grace, he's, you're the guy that he get, he's bragging about you. And that's an important thought because some of us have done some pretty bad things. Some of us have done some dumb, dumb stuff. Some of us have hurt people, have hurt our families, have hurt ourselves. And he says, that's awesome because I'm ready to take my hole-in-one shot with you so that the universe will look on and say, well done, Jesus. Look how awesome that was. By grace, through faith, lest any man should boast. And the word boast, it does mean brag, like it means that, but it means more than that. A few, I don't know if I even told you this, but a few weeks ago we were driving to church and I was talking to Ethan, my 10-year-old boy, about, because what I was trying to do was say, hey, Ethan, this is why church is important, and I can't remember what I was telling about something we had done this week as a church, and he says from the back seat, Dad, it sounds like you're boasting about the church. I'm like, well, shut up. <laughs> So, <laughs> but what he taught me was I was boasting about us and not about Jesus. What I shared a little bit earlier in 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, 
Sometimes it's better when you're giving to somebody they don't even know because they don't, then they can't, you can't boast and they don't boast on you. They're only boasting on Jesus. Just a few days after the quake in Haiti, when our church there had thought they were literally like destitute and had nothing left and, and a group of believers and Christ followers showed up that morning to bring them food. And you know what? They burst into song impromptu and the words of the song was, he knows my name, he is not forgotten They weren't giving glory to us. They were giving glory to Jesus. Boasting in this context, do you remember the Mel Gibson movie, not the Jesus one, the one, um, the William Wallace one? Braveheart. Sorry, zombies are still freaking me out. William Wallace, when he's driving along on his horse, they may take our lives, but they'll never take our freedom, you know, and... And at one point, they, they mooned the entire group. You know, what they're, they're, what they're doing was what ancient cultures did. They were boasting. It was literally modern-day trash talk. Yo mama jokes, but for war. They're boasting, our army is bigger, our king is greater. Our boasting, putting their trust in their stuff. And the idea is for this verse is that us boasting is not, it's about us putting our trust in something, anything other than Jesus. And at the core of all of us, you guys remember Rocky, the first one? Not like the after, like, not, not like the victory lap one that they just made, but like back in the original Rocky. And Adrian is saying, you know, Rocky, why are you going to go do this? And he says, I've got to do this, you know, I just because I, I want to prove that I'm not a bum. I, I want to prove to the world I'm not a bum. Because all of us are looking for that thing in our life that we can, it's our boast, so to speak, to prove that I could go the distance, to prove to the whole world, at the core of all of us, we feel like we're a bum. And Rocky was saying what all of us say, which is, I just want to prove to the world that I've got what it takes to go the distance. And so it can become our careers. It can become our families. It can become our schooling. I want to prove that I could do this, that I'm not a bum. And it's not wrong to work. It's not wrong to be successful. What is wrong is that when my trust is in that, that I'm boasting in that and not in Christ himself. What did Galatians 6 say? If I'm going to boast on anything, the only thing I can boast on is the cross. And when my boast is in that, the freedom that that gives me, the freedom it gives you. Some of you have felt this and some of you are on the way. You've climbed the ladder. Remember the ladder of success? And you see these clouds that you're going to break through and someday you'll find out that there's more ladder. (laughs) Some of you are different levels of ladder. and Jesus kicks the ladder out (laughs) on the level playing field of the cross and says, by grace, through faith, and the freedom is, is I no longer have to boast about something that i got to work for. I no longer have to boast about something that I'm going to try to make happen in my own strength and my own power. That instead I can say, no, no, God has ordained this and I can rest and I can relax. Because what does it say that he was? He was seated at the right hand of the Father. Which is, by the way, the eternal, final, mic drop moment of the universe. And he sat down. And here's the cool thing. You, it says, are seated with him. 
the place of honor at the universe. Not because you did anything, but because you genuinely were rescued from your zombie self, the zombie that only wants for you, the zombie that eats whatever flesh you got to eat to satisfy and to gratify you. I saved you from that through grace that you can sit at the right hand of the Father and relax. And then, verse 10, oh man, this is the best part. That you were created in Christ. Verse 10, for here's workmanship created in Christ for good works, Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. We're created in him. Uh, is Mark Neubauer here this morning? He's a painter. Any other painters or artists? Or When you're creating in something, it's the platform, Ambers. When you create your art, you're creating it in a format, a pla- uh, whatever you would call it, like the markers that you're using for the, the not the cartoons, whatever it is you're doing. I made, I, it, I made it sound really cheap all of a sudden. Amber is an amazing artist <laughs> and has created this amazing book. But anyway, there's a format, that she, a platform that she's using in ink, okay? In paint, in oil paint, in clay. You were created in Christ. From his material, you were created. Here's a better metaphor that I promise this church will get a lot more. Babies. <laughs> that baby, Hannah, was created in you. It's got your DNA. Your baby has your, there's things that come from you in that baby. It's unique and it's beautiful. You were created in Christ. Where was Eve created? She was creative, created in Adam from Adam's side. Created in Christ. On the cross, he bled from his side. Blood and water flowed. Fluids of birth. If you've been on the business end of a baby being born, you know. You're going to see some blood, you're going to see some water. You were created in Christ. You have in him now the DNA of God inside of you. And not just so we can now go on and enforce a bunch of rules and regulations and policies and procedures. If you've ever been around a retirement community, when Shannon and I, there was a period of time we lived in this little place in uh, Antioch. And it was basically like, it wasn't a retirement community, but it was like the word got out to retired people. And it was like most of these retired people had lived their entire lives so they could get the golf cart live in this place, and then drive around and, re- and enforce these rules and these regulations. <laughs> and they'd give you jobs. Hey, if you see anybody put the lawn furniture in the pool, could you report that and get their, their tag number? Because they're, re- they're report, they've got to keep the rules. That's not why Christ saved you. That's not why you're created in Christ. You were created in Christ to do amazing things, to do good works. Because you know what happens when the church is gathered together doing amazing things? And by the way, if you've been a part of the church and you've disconnected because you got your feelings hurt and maybe it was legitimate because there was something that happened, and you've been, there is no such thing as Christianity on its own. Because the gift that I have and the uniqueness that God created in me is different than the uniqueness created in you, and we need each other. Which is why he would end this chapter and close it out with saying that, In verse uh, 20, built on the foundation of the apostle and the prophet, speaking of the church now, 
Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. He's the cornerstone of this building called the church in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you are also being built together as a dwelling place, into a dwelling place for, by God for the Holy Spirit. There, I think there's one reference. Some of you guys know more than maybe this. And I, I, think there's, I can only think of one reference in the New Testament where the temple of the Holy Spirit was one person. It's like saying that this brick is the, is the building of conduit. Just holding up a brick, this is the building of the conduit. Building. There's a, that is true, and yet by itself it's just a brick. You and I coming together become the body of Christ. This building just keeps us from getting rained on, keeps us dry, keeps us warm, it keeps us cool. But you and I together are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Your stone and my stone coming together, bricks together becoming the temple of the Holy Spirit doing amazing things. Why do we do amazing things? Matthew 5 tells us, so that they will see your good works and glorify God. In Indonesia, you might remember an earthquake that happened in 2004. A lot of people don't realize that where the epicenter was and where some of the most damage was done in 2004 was right off of the coast of Indonesia in the very place where Islam came ashore in Indonesia years before. And so they venerate this place as the place where Islam came to Indonesia, Indonesia, which is the largest Muslim country in the world. And that place was demolished. And what happened in those days and weeks and months that followed were that people showed up. They had matching t-shirts, some of them. They came from far and they came from near. They were Jesus people. Jesus people helping these children who lost their parents, helping these parents who lost their children, helping people who lost everything. It was Jesus people. And it began to occur to some of these brothers and sisters now, what's that? why is Saudi Arabia not here and their billions of dollars? Why is Qatar not here? Why is, why is it that Jesus people, people of faith in Christ are coming, but not people with faith in Allah? And what began to happen is a church planning movement was born in the place where Islam came on shore in Indonesia. A church planning movement was born in Indonesia that now, 12 years later, is infiltrating parts of Indonesia all over. All the islands are being infiltrated by Jesus' people. And you know why? Because they looked at the church and they glorified God. And that's what Peter said would happen. They'll see your good works. And it'll, he says in, I think it's 1 Peter, 2 Peter 5, it'll, uh, it'll silence the talk of foolish men. They'll see what you're doing that's awesome together as a church. They'll know you are Christians by your love. And I want us as individuals and corporately to know what we were saved from. What would it do for us if we understood? What would it do for our depression? What would it do for our fears to understand that I was saved from that? I'm a new creature in Christ. Old things are gone. They're all passed away. I can still live like a zombie, but that's not who I am. I have been saved from that. Not just the penalty of sin, but power from sin. If only I would believe the identity that he's given me now that that looking in on myself, it might be a human condition, but it's certainly not a God condition. To be fear-free, to be 
literally loving arms of Jesus, understanding he saved me from all of that stuff. And I have to understand that he did it through grace because otherwise I'm going to get all arrogant and cocky and start bragging about it. And I'm going to have what we call religion because now I'm about enforcing these rules, these regulations, and these policies, and these procedures, and nobody runs in the church. We don't want to spill anything on the carpet, and suddenly we've venerated this thing, and oh, it's exhausting. Uh, we're not, that's not what he saved us through, so that we, could, we didn't get saved by works. We got saved so we could do great work. And I'm already surrounded by believers who already get that, and I want to invite anybody that doesn't feel that right now, man, to just believe that he saved you from that stuff, that he saved you through grace, by faith, created you now in Christ uniquely using the paint of Jesus, the DNA of Jesus to create you, to do stuff uniquely only you can do. Decided for you before the beginning of time. I've just, I want you to do this. That's what I want. Art, I got stuff for you to do. I've saved you for that. And everybody in this room, Saved by grace through faith, created in Christ to do amazing things, not individually, not isolated, but together in this thing we call the church that is messy. We're stumbling towards redemption. Together we're going to bump into each other. My pastor taught me something as a little child that I still remember, and that's when you build a building. We put flooring in at our house this week because of an unfortunate water incident. There's a lot of hammering, a lot of banging, getting it to fit together. There was chipping, there was friction, there was hammering. But you know what happens when we do that with the building? When you're putting bricks together, they're pounding the brick into place, they're trawling it, and their stuff's being chipped off. That's what makes a building strong. The friction that sometimes we want to run from is the very thing that God wants to use to build us up into the temple of the Holy Spirit, a strong temple for him today. Would you stand to your feet? you've been living in that old way, if you've been living as a zombie in your new creation spirit, I would ask you today, just dig into Ephesians and supernaturally begin to say, no, that's not who I am. That is not my identity. I told this story a while back and it's worth repeating. There's a little guy in Haiti named Jackson who's lived at Restoration House. Jackson was found after the earthquake outside a tent. He was two years, three, he was four years old, I guess, at that time. Brought in and and it, during that first couple of years living in our restoration house, he was stealing stuff. He was taking food and, from, a, from trips and hiding it. And, and they wanted, they were mad, they were going to kick him out. Four. <laughs> Until the house parents said, no, 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 don't, we can't. He still thinks he lives outside. He's still acting like that because that's all he's ever known was stealing. If he knew that every time I go to the pantry there was more food, like most kids in America know, that's why your kids don't go to Walmart and steal stuff. Because they know I got food at home. But Jackson didn't know that yet. He was living as an orphan in a non-orphan environment. He had parents he just didn't know. Some of you just need to step into that. I'm not a zombie anymore. I don't have to live like that. I don't have to look for myself and be in curvetous and even for God. I can now live outwardly and live selflessly and about giving instead of taking. And sometimes it just takes time. Little Jackson, by the way, will be here within maybe the year. He's being adopted by a family right here in Williamson County at eight or nine years old now, living differently than he lived because he understands 
Some of you just didn't understand that yet. You're not a zombie anymore. You don't have to live that way. And I pray this morning that you will step out of that and into this new and amazing thing that God has done for you. And that we get to do it not individually or not alone, but together. We need each other. And he created it so that we would have each other. And if you this morning, you're someone that I'm talking to right now that I'm still living that way because I haven't yet believed on Christ. I haven't yet stepped into that to be saved. I'm going to pray for you right now, and I want you to meet me down here because I want to talk to you. And I want to pray for you. You don't have to live that way anymore. You are saved from that, and you can be saved from that today. The penalty of it and the power of it over your life. So I'm going to pray for all of you, but specifically I'm talking to someone in here this morning that hasn't quite yet stepped in and believed to be saved that moment of, I believe God, and I'm stepping into being saved from that. I'm going to pray for you, and I want you, I'm going to stand right here for about five, ten minutes, and I want you to come and meet me, and I want to pray for you. Father, I'm, I'm so grateful for what you did. You saved me from being an absolute idiot. You saved me from myself. You saved me from the prince of the power of the air. You saved me through no faults of my own or no effort of my own, but only through you. And that, <laughs> that's why I don't boast in me. I only boast in you. Even the faith that I have to believe, even that was a gift. Today, Lord, I'm just asking for you to supernaturally break through our minds and our hearts and to show us each what amazing things you've created us to do. And for those of us that have been bound up in our zombie ways, not living the life that you've called us to live, Lord, I just pray that the darkness, the fear, that the bondage would fall off, fall away, and that we would step into this amazing life that you've created for us, this side of heaven and into the next. We all stand here this morning as trophies of your grace. Moments of boast for you. It's in your name that we pray.